got a great song to play, you know. Just, uh, uh. Hello? <laughs> Have you ever snogged a lady? Um, we had a technical problem. Are we on? Can we... Yeah. <laughs> We're on there. Can I swear? <laughs> Shit! Welcome to Crunch and Roll. I'm John, and I've had many nicknames over the years. Of course, Foxy, uh, the Fox to some. I think my personal favourite has to be The Rod by a dear listener, uh, whilst I was doing the breakfast show on BRB. Now, my guest in this episode, however, has won at nicknames. It's Red Hot Emma Scott although she was also known to some, including Stephanie Hurst and Dave Grohl, as The Wench. I'd never spoken to Emma before we hit record, but let me tell you, she's got some amazing stories, like her unusual route into radio, her near-miss with Radio 1 and how it was basically Simon Mayo's fault that she didn't get the gig, and also calling her PD and also future Crunch and Roll guest the worst swear word. And it worked out well. Now, this is one of the funniest and most honest chats we've had on the podcast so far. So, sit back, relax, enjoy all the adult theme stories and plenty of profanity let's crunch and roll oh yeah emma scott how are you um i'm all right. i'm all right thank you it's all a bit strange doing this um but thanks for having me on john and uh simon as well who's beautiful in the background um yeah it's very strange to be on the other side which i'm sure a lot of people say the other side of the being asked things Ugh. she's red hot it's emma scott which um, I, I know you and I have just met and it makes me sound like I'm a pervert, but that is something I read uh, this week as the announcement at the time of recording was made that you're going to be doing some shows on uh, a station in Derbyshire. And um, yeah. there were many uh, very lovely comments about you, Emma, one of which said, <laughs> she's red hot, it's Emma Scott. Very nice. It rhymes. I mean, that's a good name to have. Uh, and if you were ter- talking to Hursty, um, she might have said uh, that I was a wench. Um <laughs> Because actually she created the whole Emma Scott is a wench. And that carried on with me for years and years. And I remember Dave Grohl from the Foo Fighters remembers me as Emma Scott, the wench. And when I met him at the Kerrang Awards, I chased him. I said, hey, Dave. And he turns around and he went, I said, it's me, the wench. He went, hey, you're the wench. So I quite like the whole Red Hot Emma Scott thing because it's hilarious. Yeah, because I'm not really uh, lukewarm. Um, doesn't rhyme. Um, tepid, no. Um, and the the wench thing. I don't mind calling myself a wench. It's a bit of fun. It's well, radio fun, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yes, great mate. That's what it is. We were just talking before we hit record that you and I did work together very briefly, but never met. And we'll, and we'll get on to the the mighty Kerrang in just uh, a bit. But I I don't know anything about you, Emma. Um, where are you no. from? Where are you from originally? I'm from Cambridgeshire, Ooh. a place called St. Neots, which uh, Caroline Martin, of course, is from Cambridgeshire. Yeah. Or she might be from Cambridge because she's quite posh. Um, but yeah, I'm St. Neots in Cambridgeshire, in East Anglia. And, and was the dream to, to be on, I mean, what was the station in Cambridge? I can't remember now, blimey. Well, we didn't really have one at that point. It was it was a 96.9 Chiltern Radio in Bedford. Right. And oh, the dream fun. was to be on Chiltern Radio, yes. Right. So how do you, how do you, how did you get, I mean, did you, did you start at Chilton? Did you, did you make it? That is correct. I blagged my way in when I was 16 and I was a YTS girl. Do you remember the youth training schemes? Wow. The government training scheme. And um, I, yeah, I didn't really know at that age, you know, they ask you to, to uh, decide what you want to do with the rest of your life when you're, you know, 13, 14, 15, you're like, I don't know. Um, uh, but I did think that I wanted to be a police lady. Um, of course, no, you can just say police officer. Uh, so I wanted to be a police officer. But when we went to careers evening at school, the police uh, the people, they said, no, 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 you're too young. You have to be 18, 18 and a half. I was, oh, gosh, what am I going to do for two years? So I, I was stuck then. I don't know. I didn't obviously we didn't have the internet back then, so I couldn't really research how old you had to be to join the police force, but obviously it wasn't 16. Anyway, so I was just wandering around this careers uh, evening at school with my mum, and there was the West Anglian training, um, which was the YTS lot, and I just thought, well, I'm going to have to do something for two years before I can be a copper. So I went over there and I just said, um, you know, what's on offer? And I didn't, I wasn't interested in any of the stuff that they had on offer, of course, uh, and I said, well, they said, well, what do you like? And I said, oh, I, I like the radio. Can you get me a, into the radio? And they were like, oh, uh, well, we've got, uh, well, it actually didn't have any answers for me at that point because I kind of got him on the hop. 
Um, but he came back to me within a week and he said, we've been in touch with Chiltern Radio. And I was like, no, you have not. Um, and th- that was the station I absolutely loved. He said, yes, we've been in touch with them and they're up for um, interviewing you w- with a view to uh, you having a, you know, joining them as a YTS trainee for two years. And I was like, oh, my gosh, that was, you know, I was in love with everyone <laughs> from the cleaner to the boss, to the receptionist. And, uh, you know, my my true loves at that time were Tony West. Uh, he was my uh, absolute radio idol, Tony West, who was on Chilton. And Paul McKenna used to be uh, the breakfast show presenter at Chilton. Um, and, yeah, Martin Collins and just, just you know, loads of, loads of great broadcasters. Some of them are still going now. Um, but, yes, I was absolutely in love with that. So I did do the I, – I had the interview, and it was actually to join the newsroom at Chilton Radio. Um, so I just sort of did the general dog's body cleaning cartridges, you know, shove your hand in the magnetic field and <laughs> wipe those, reclaiming tape, um, you know, just carting. It, it, it was all eight track then and uh, reel to reel. There wasn't anything else. <laughs> there was nothing else. Everything was on vinyl, you know, the, the A list, B list, that was all seven inch vinyl. So I'd sort that out and put stickers on. And I was just the general you know, dog's body, but I absolutely loved every minute of it. Did you dream of being a presenter or did you just want to be part of a radio station? I, at that time, I did just want to generally be around the people that I worshipped and um, the radio bug didn't really happen until, you know, while I, you know, I'd been there for a while and then I got behind the mic and just started having a little play around. And then some of the other DJs took me under their wing and they used to give me a hand um, and show me what to do. And I used to just play it to being DJ um, after I'd finished my little YTS shift. Once I'd finished washing up the cups of uh, <laughs> that were on the day, you know, once you, you've done all the housework and everything, then when they've all gone, then I could um, get into the studio when it was finished and uh, for, the, for the day and it was free. I used to just go in there and make demos. And... Um, Obviously, they'd all be on cassette, wouldn't they, back in those days? So, and that, and uh, yeah, that's how I got the bug. I never really thought I could ever do it. Um, but it seems 35 years later that I could do it. Um, but yeah, it was, it, it was not my intention. My intention was to finish my YTS training when I was 18 and go and be a police officer. Do you know? It's, I mean, happen. it's such a that was such a lovely story, and and you're the first guest we've had on Crunch and Roll who started via a YTS because normally it's hospital oh. radio or it's student radio, and you've done it completely different, which is really interesting. It's strange that the one burning question I have is: whilst you're doing that washing up, did you ever wash up a Sports Direct mug? Because every radio station <laughs> has always got a massive Sports Direct mug, hasn't it? A hundred percent. They were always massive, and whoever had it was an absolute bell end usually. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they've got the big cup. Oh great, whatever. You're a knob. Yes, you that is that is hilarious. The sports direct I mean they're, they're classics, aren't they? But yeah. They definitely had those and the Chilton Radio mugs. Oh, I wish I could have one of those now. <laughs> All right, so let's uh, let's move on to 1991. Um and you started shows on CRMK. 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 Community Radio Milton Keynes. It's still going. Um yeah, that was at the back of Horizon Radio. Um which I think had been created by then. That was one of the new additions to the Chilton Radio Hot FM uh, family. Because Chilton Radio was Chilton 96.9, 97.6, which is like, you know, the one that could be heard in London. So everyone wanted to be on there because yeah. they wanted to be on Capitol. Um, and some of our jocks went to Capitol, like Paul McKenna and, you know, Martin Collins, people like that. Um, and there was North Ants, 96.6. And then, yeah, as I say, Horizon joined in and they'd also taken over Seven Sound in Gloucester. So it was a very strange network of five stations. Anywho, um, so yes, CRMK, I kind of begged my way into there. And the program director said, uh, you know, I'd never been on air. I'd just done demo tapes in the studio. I'd never been on live radio ever. Um, but he gave me a chance. He put me on with another girl, a lovely girl called Kim Harper. And she took me under her wing as well. And we did a little show. And then eventually, after about three shows, he said, yeah, you need to be on your own. So we're going to separate you and Kim and you can have your own show. And he gave me a Tuesday night show, Tuesday evening affair, it was called. And I did that for a while. It was good practice. I was nervous as hell. 
Um, never really happy around anyone. I, I'm glad. I mean, Tim was lovely, but I didn't really like doing co-heading, uh, co-header, co-header shows. Um, very shy um, and, yeah, very scared of it all, but loved it at the same time. So, yeah, that's where I started. And then in 1992, you then go to ugh, Overnights, which we, we've all done. We've all Everyone's done, done it. Uh, uh, I mean, there are still, when I did overnights to start my career at Viking, there are still, we did Fox's Kebab Shop of the Night and there are still certificates 23 years on around some takeaways in Hull. And the whole premise, of, the whole premise of the idea was to, just to blag free food. I mean, that was one of the joys <laughs> of overnight. It's a strange time to be on the wireless, isn't it, Emma? It's it's horrible and you just can't sleep when you get back. So yeah, you you just try different things. Uh, you'd you'd be exhausted while you're on air at times. Not all the time, you know, because you did get into a routine. I used to when I think I was on those night shifts. I think I was on one till six or two till seven. Horrible shifts. You know, people moan about two hour slots. I'm like, hang on a minute. I've done a six hour ago. <laughs> yeah. um, but you know, generally it was a five hour slot. So you'd finish work. Um, those were the weekend slots, really. But yeah, if you were on in the in the week, you'd finish at six for breakfast. And then you're like, well, what am I going to do now? Then you're buzzing. Um, so I used to just go to the gym after, and that didn't really help either. But yeah, it was a terrible time actually, <laughs> but good in a way because you can, if you can form relationships with listeners, that makes it easier. Because I think it's all about the listener. Um, and if you've got nothing coming back at you, you are literally in a padded room talking to yourself, which can be a bit, and, and you're the only one in the building, which can be a bit lonely. So but, this, yeah. I should have pointed out that this is now, uh, you're doing overnights on the Chilton Network. I was on the Chilton Network, so it was quite a big deal. It wasn't just some little, you know, little thing. Um, it was quite a big, that was, I mean, back in those days, 1990, what was it, two? Two, 92. Um, there weren't that many radio, station around, uh, radio stations around. So, yeah, that was a big thing for me. Um, so, yeah, there were, I was, 19, 20 years old on this radio station I grew up with and another four and one over the other side of the country. So, um, yeah, I think I did all right, actually. I think I was probably quite shit at the time, but I did all right <laughs> to get to that point. We were all shit to start, Emma. Don't worry about that. Of now, course, of course. <laughs> and, and was this your first paid gig? And if so, how much, can you remember how much your show fee was? I actually didn't get any money for that. Did you know? <laughs> I, I specifically remember Clive Dickens was the P... Well, he was actually not the PD, I don't think. He was the head of music, but... For some reason, he must have been – Paul Robinson was my first PD. Scary as hell. bit like Richard Park, but his name's Paul Robinson, still in radio consultants now. Scary guy, and he wiped all of – he bulk erased all of my carts with my jingles on because he said that you're using them as crutches. Don't And, and I was gutted. There's this young 18-year-old, 19-year-old girl. comes. I had a little cart rack on my studio. Um, it, well, it wasn't even the studio. It was on my little newsroom desk little cart rack of about eight little carts. And it was like Emma Scott, Red Hot Emma. It wasn't even Red Hot Emma Scott by then. But it was just these little things that we'd made. And he came in and he just bulked them. <laughs> and I was absolutely gutted. This is the guy I'm scared the hell out of. You know, and um, anyway, so Paul Robinson, I think he'd gone then to, he went to Radio 1, I think, and, uh, and was a boss there. Anyway, then Clive Dickens, who was a friend of mine, he was the one that offered me the night shift. And I said, oh, great. How, how much will I be getting? He said, nothing. There is no money. Not even petrol money for my car to drive wow. from St. Neitz to Milton Keynes. Um, so, no, zero pence, zero pence, I'm, I'm afraid to to say. Um, bad form. So, your first professional gig, you're running at a loss here, Emma. I'm, I'm running at a terrible loss, <laughs> but I did... I did two years on YTS and I got £27.50 for the first year and £29.50 for the second on like a 70-hour working week. I mean, I think there's a theme going on. I don't think I really was in it for the money. <laughs> and at that time, is it true that Radio 1, they, they approached you? Yeah, Radio 1 came a-knocking. They came a-knocking... For the wench. <laughs> they wanted a bit of the wench. In fact, I wasn't even the wench at that point. I was just red hot Emma Scott. Um, hilarious, whatever. Um, so, yeah, they the guy called Simon. I want to say Simon Willis. It was a long time ago. Lovely Simon. He was really nice. And he approached me twice um, uh, within a couple of years of each other. Once was when I was at um, Chilton Radio doing the evening show. I think they'd caught wind of me. Um they asked me to go to Manchester to do a live demo there. 
and I am not good at nerves. I do, you know, I, I do struggle with nerves and I do struggle with other people looking at me and things like that. So I could never do a co-header show. So to be put in a studio in a very strange place, BBC Manchester, never been there before. And I've got Mark and Lard uh, opposite me. I'm my like, heroes, my heroes. I know. Same for me. Yeah. I absolutely oh, love those God. guys. Yeah. And they're there. And I'm like, Christ, what the hell? <laughs> anyway, so I didn't do very well at that. I got overwhelmed. And then a couple of years later, they came to me again. Or I might have actually approached them at that point and said, I cocked up before. Can I have another go? And they said, OK, come. And it was still Simon. And, and Simon said, come down to London. So I went down to London and I had Simon Mayo opposite me during that one. <laughs> and I knew he was listening yeah. because you you can tell when they're listening on pre-fade, you know. Um, and I had Zoe Ball's um, producer, Ginger. I think they called him Ginger uh, on on air at that time. Ginger, we went, work, I work with him now, Mark. Yeah, yeah. Ginger was a great guy. He was helping me doing my thing. And again, I just, the nerves got the better of me. And I've got Simon Mayo opposite me as well. Did I, I couldn't do it. So yeah, two two stabs at Radio One, um, and she cocked up both of them. Well, Never mind, eh? At least they approached it's, you. I mean, that's you. They approached you, Emma. I mean, that's pretty cool. They said they called me the female Chris Moyles, um, <laughs> and I don't know whether to be offended by that or not. I do know Chris. Um, I remember he turned up. He he took my show over when I left Chilton to escape GWR. Um, he took over my evening show and he made a sweeper little shit. And it was, it was, he opened his new show. He goes, and it was something like, I don't know, Chris Moyles on the Hot FM evening show. Who the hell is Emma Scott anyway? And I was like, <laughs> you little rat bag. I just slogged my heart out on that show, you knob. Um, but he did, he did very well. Um, but, and uh, yeah, I get a mention in his first autobiography, I think. And I was like, oh, Moyles, he mentioned me. How exciting. It was a technical problem. You heard something on there you shouldn't have done. Oh, yeah. Well, look. So, so from Chilton Network, you, you quickly moved to to Galaxy in Bristol, which yeah. later that then become Vibe. Am I right in thinking? Is that the one that? Well, it might have been Vibe, but it was it was Galaxy, and then and then it went to Galaxy One Hundred One, and then it was owned by Chrysalis, and that's when I left. But that point, um, it was it was it was called something before I got there, and then they moved, they changed it to Galaxy, which was Chilton Radio Run. So it was still the Chilton Network, and they just added it on, and it was like the dance station. Yeah. Um, and was, they put me on a Saturday afternoon sports show, crying out loud. I mean, <laughs> I don't know what that was all about. Um, and again, I don't think I got paid for that because I got um, – they put me on – they moved me from Chilton Radio overnights. This is quite an interesting story. Well, it's not, it's not that interesting, but Clive's – Clive Dickens said to me, he said, Emmy said, you're doing well on overnights. I want to get you up the schedule. We want to move you off overnights. We'll put you on a nice Saturday afternoon slot. I was like, great, brilliant. It's in Bristol. I'm like, <laughs> okay, so only the other side of the country then. So I was like, yeah, yeah, okay, I'll do that. I'll do that. Also, the, on the only other catch is you'll be a station assistant, which is basically the dog's body role that I've been doing anyway, previous four years, because I did four and a half years at Chilton in Bedford. Um, so, and he said, and also we don't really know the team down there in Bristol cause we've just taken it over. We've just bought it out. So we want you to be the spy. Oh, and I was like, what? what? Oh, thanks mate. <laughs> uh, this is a guy that's supposed to be, goes, we just want you to keep an eye on things because we don't know whether they're, you know, they're sticking to their logs or anything. Are they, are they playing the A list? Are they playing the B list or are they just playing whatever they want kind of thing? And I thought it was, I was just like, yeah, whatever. Anyway, so I, I did this station assistant role, but it wasn't long before I um, got moved on to drive time because I think somebody moved and they threw me onto this drive time show, which was three till seven. And then they added another hour on 2 p.m. to 7 p.m. Um, and yeah, that's that was kind of, you know, that that was how I launched into proper daytime and drive time radio. And I wasn't very good and I wasn't very confident uh, I was like this young 19, 20-year-old girl, um, and I didn't know what I was doing. But it was lovely. I met Rick Scott there, funnily enough. He's got the same surname, so radio brother and sister. And he actually produces my radio show now, the one that I um, syndicate. So as we said earlier, it's a very small world. Um, but, yeah, Rick, I love Rick, and I've worked with him uh, at a couple of radio stations. And, uh, yeah, so we're still together. Please tell me you're now getting paid, Emma, because I'm starting to question your agent. Then I would, I think I was getting, um, 
that's about gosh hang on i'm trying to think what i used to earn like nine would i have earned 958 pounds a month for six shows with or that was actually that was later i think i might have earned eight grand a year when i was on galaxy doing that station assistant role and then i think i went uh, whatever it was whenever i moved then to milk back to milton Keynes to horizon and the hot fm again to do evenings i moved up the schedule i was earning 958 which were, of course we were like capital 958 it's oh it's such an <laughs> anorak thing to say so yeah i used to earn a 958 a month um when I was on uh, the Hot FM. You mentioned it there, 94. So you, you go to the evening show on the Hot FM and you, you've said to us that you had the time of your life there. You loved it. I did. Uh, that was the stuff of dreams because I was on, I think the evening show in a way is is the best gig on the station. It was for me at that time. Um, uh, I was interviewing a lot of bands and, and also interviewing bands and artists that I admired from my youth and people that were on my walls were actually in my studio and in front of me, you know, like Adam Ant. And and then you'd get all of the um all of the boy bands. I mean, 1995 was big on boy bands. You know, you got Take That that had just broken through. I did a very early gig with Take That at the Peterborough East of England showground, some sort of farmer's show. <laughs> I've got pictures of me standing with Mark Owen and Robbie was doing something spinning on his head and Gary Barlow left his sock behind. I remember that. And um, I sent Gary Barlow's sock back to him via his manager, Nigel Martin-Smith, and said, hi, Gary, it was great to meet you at the East of England show. You left your sock. And it was a horrible sock. I don't know. I even know why I bothered doing it, but I did. I returned Gary Barlow's sock. So, yeah, lots of boy bands. And I was, you know, I was a young girl and I fancied a lot of them. So I was like, "Way he's coming in. God, he's a bit of all right. <laughs> bands like, you know, Worlds Apart, Bad Boys Inc., uh, and then you'd find out most of them were gay anyway. You're like, okay, I was probably barking up the wrong tree there. Let Loose were another band that came through, you know, and then, but then, you know, talking about bands that I used to like, Hue and Cry and Duran Duran and Gary Kempf's Band I Ballet. You know, just, I was a big, like my peak time when I was loving music and, you know, I've got all the pictures on my walls, Paul Young, people like that. Um, you know, that they're 10 years later, they're kind of, not doing so well. So then they're doing the commercial radio rounds, you know, on their other record deals that aren't so major and they're not having hits. But um, but I didn't care about any of that. I was like, oh, my God, Paul Young is coming in. I cannot believe it. <laughs> and um, I was just absolutely in my element. And the, the, it was a lovely team at Horizon um, Stroke the Hot FM because we were based at Milton Keynes in Horizon Studio. Um, but we broadcast to, you know, those five radio stations. And, um, yeah, happy days, happy days. You, you also um, ended up dating your 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 hero from, from your childhood as well. Well, I know, yeah. I mean, who who would have thought that, right? <laughs> Adam Ant. Um, and when I, I've, told, I've told that story a few times and a few people said, what, which one's he then? I'm thinking I was talking about Ant and Deck. I'm like... <laughs> All right, the youth, Adam Ant, Adam and the Ants, massive band. Yeah, I worshipped him from the age of nine. And then when I met him, I was 23. He was a bit older, didn't bother me. It was Adam Ant. And uh, yeah, during the interview, we got on really, really well. And he just said, if you're in London, come and have a coffee. Um, gave me his telephone number, gave me his address. And uh, yeah, we had a few coffees. Adam Ant is a lovely guy. And I remember I was thinking while I was um, just doing the housework earlier, um, I was thinking of a great time. Adam and I had gone out. We had a great time. We went to London Zoo. He loves London Zoo. He lives right near it. And we'd gone there and that was lovely. Um, but there was this other time we'd we were out for dinner. And um, I said to him, I said, I'm going to go to the toilet. I said, I might be a while. And uh, obviously, you know, he knew what I meant when I said I was going to be a little while in the toilet. And I got back to the table and it was a tablecloth. that was like a paper tablecloth. They obviously replace it and then they put another one in. And he'd written on it. Emma done a big poo and and I had this picture of me like done a cartoon of me next to it and I was absolutely gutted I was like oh you're so you've so embarrassed me so I ripped the tablecloth I've still got it actually I've still got the the actual um, Emma done a big poo thing written down um he's a great guy he really looked after me he was lovely and uh, I haven't spoken to him for a while but yeah cheeky little bugger but uh yeah great I've seen him live loads of times since absolutely spot on still so adam and the ants and adam and in general amazing that is an amazing story Emma. amazing oh so, yeah <laughs> that so, was good fun 
So from 1995, um, you go back to Bristol uh, and then you're on the the regional Galaxy 101. You're doing the 11 Mm. till 3 show. I mean, was was dance and R&B your thing? Because from from what I'm sensing, I would say not. No, not really. But it, it as it as Galaxy progressed from the previous radio station, which was very uh, music of black uh, origin, bit bit mobo, yeah, mobo basically. Um, we had to play like every other song had to be from an artist of black origin. So um, it was a world that I was not, I didn't really understand any of it. But anyway, when we got back, as it kind of you know morphed into Galaxy One Hundred and One, which was the bigger regional station, which was broadcast into Bristol and Wales. Um, I had to learn a load of Welsh uh, sayings and phrases and stuff. Uh, lovely, the joys. Um, it, it became more pop. And, you know, I had guests like Kim Wilde come in and write said Fred and bands like that. So it was it was less mobo and more sort of a pop, really. Um, but, yeah, 11 till 3, that was a good slot. I quite liked that. Um, but yeah, that didn't end well because Chrysalis, you know, and I think when, when I hear these podcasts, I think most people come into a radio station, um, you know, brought in by a program director and then the program director leaves yeah, yeah, yeah. or you're quite happily moving along your life and enjoying your show. And you've just moved halfway across the country again. Um, there's a lot of moving in this game. Then the radio station gets taken over. You know, when I left the Hot FM, it wasn't because I wanted to, because as we've discussed, I was having the time of my life. That was when GWR took over the Chilton Radio Network, and I couldn't be doing with that. Uh, Couldn't be doing with that. And then Moyles took over my evening show. So that's where Moyles kind of launched, and then he got his capital gig. Um, But he took over my evening show on Chilton. So I'd gone over to escape GWR and the liner cards. Um, And then we were fine at Galaxy for a while. And then Chrysalis came in um, and they bought Galaxy off of Chilton. And um, they fired, well, they fired me. They got rid of me and they, then they brought their own, that's what they do. They kind of come in and then they get rid of the old ones, even though I'd only been there eight months Um, and they, and they replaced me. So I was a bit heartbroken about that because I'd moved again over that side of the country and I was a bit screwed then. Um, but yeah, that was the first time I kind of lost my job. Um, and, but it's okay. Cause I got another gig. I did a couple of weeks in Plymouth just to fill in the time. And then I got a job offer at Metro, wow. <laughs> which was, um, one of the big stations in the country at that time. And I hadn't got a job. So, uh, yes, they're offering me this gig and yes, it's overnights and weekend overnights, but okay. I need the gig. I'm going. So that's how I ended up at Metro. But, um, yeah, I wasn't overly happy being there. Cunty, uh, cunt, cunty. Oh, uh, uh, we apologise, sir. We just play records all eight, nine, when do we finish? I'm not drunk. I've had a couple of drinks. I'm not drunk. <laughs> oh, yeah. Now, before we get onto Metro, um, you mentioned Right Said Fred. I mean, <laughs> didn't, didn't they contribute to you not being in favour with Chrysalis for some reason? Yes, funnily enough, they were slagging off the music while I was doing a live interview with them. They were saying, I think there was some sort of cover version or some sample that was being used in one of the A-list songs and they just slagged it off completely. And I was trying, I was like, I was sort of mouthing at them, you know, and I knew that that's when Chrysalis had arrived to have a station tour to see whether they wanted to buy it. And my PD, I can't even remember who it was. Um, they, he, he just uh, really brought me up on that and said, "Right, so Fred, well, I mean, what was all that about?" I was like, "But I told them afterwards. I said, you helped me get get the boot." I said, and then later on, I just said, "It's all right. It was a good move. I didn't like it there anyway. You know, I didn't." And they were they were fine, but yeah, they were a little bit um, bit mouthy, and they were, it was a little bit negative. So yeah, a little bit naughty. Yeah, <laughs> they, they were a bit naughty. So whatever, but. Yes, Emma it did Scott, help me get the boot. Emma Scott got booted because a right said Fred is such a good headline. Brilliant, <laughs> brilliant. <laughs> yeah, absolute knobbins. <laughs> All right, I wasn't happy at the time. <laughs> let's move uh, move on to Newcastle. Sublime. I've I've, oh. I've never been to Newcastle, and um, but I know what it's like in Newcastle, and I've. I don't know why this is back in '96, but I'm I'm starting to worry for you, Emma. I mean. A young girl from from Cambridgeshire moving to Newcastle. How was that? It was horrific. <laughs> I didn't understand what was going on. I mean, 
the night scene, you know, is it's a big it's a big night scene, and the girls go out not wearing very many clothes. I remember that uh, a lot of footballers, football Newcastle uh, football team were quite massive at that time, uh, so that was all the rage. I didn't know anything about football. Um, Metro FM as a, a, again was massive, and I'm just this little XYTS girl from Chilton Radio. Um, so it was all very daunting and full of um, you know Geordies. So I had to learn how to speak Geordie way I pet. I'm Ganning doing the tune. Yeah, it was uh, it was an interesting time. I learned a lot. You mentioned to me before that it was a it was a good team. It was just more of the experience that you didn't you didn't like. I didn't like being on my own. No, I was four and a half hours from home. I didn't have any friends. I was just I didn't know anybody. That um, I didn't know the boss. I didn't know anybody. Um, and being on the overnight shift, you don't see anyone. You'll see the breakfast presenter come in at six a.m. You hot seat out of there. And you've you've gone. There's no time for chit chat. Um, and then I just go home. I was completely on my my own. I didn't have anything to do all day. So um, yeah, it wasn't great. And they tried to involve me as much as they could. Fair play to them. They're good guys. Lewis Clark was one of my friends up there. Um, and then I later worked with him at Heart. Late, you know, like two thousand and you know ten, eleven, twelve, something like that. So um, they tried to get me out, but it was difficult because I was on the horrible. I was on. Friday and Saturday evening, seven till ten, and then three night shifts in the week. So sociable, no, not going to happen. But yeah, so in the end, I used to finish my one of my overnight shifts, and I actually went round to Lewis's house and had a breakfast with him. And he said, "Oh, I don't know. He was he was um, I think he was a program director at that time. Was he assistant? I can't remember. I can't remember. Giles was Giles took me, and then Giles buggered off." Um, and then I had Sean Marley. He was a good PD. I liked him, very sweet. And then Lewis was up there and Alan Robson, people like that. But um, yeah, and that eventually I kind of made more friends um, in at Metro. But yeah, it was a massive station and it was probably a bit too much for me, really. But I, I used to have a good time eventually. Now, as much as your, your story of uh, unhappiness, um, just living away from home in Newcastle for, for Metro, is it true that... I don't think I've ever mentioned this name, this guy's name for some time. Um, so Jimmy Savile actually sat with you in the studio at Metro as well. Well, I think he tried to get me to sit on his lap, but um, it, it was, it, I, yeah, he used to do a show for uh, Great North Radio, which I think was the AM brand of the FM. Thought I don't know, it was the other side where the grown-ups used to play. Um, so he used to do Savile's Travels show, and, and, and as a result, he used to come in every now and again to record. And I was doing my, it would have been a Saturday or a Sunday evening show. I was just on my own. Don't expect anyone to be in the building. And then really Jimmy Savile walks in with his cigar on, right? I'm sorry, mate, but this is a studio. Uh, nobody smokes in the studio. Not even allowed food in here. And you've got a bloody cigar on. Anyway, comes in with the producer of the show, Michael, lovely guy. He, he just he just wanted Jimmy to come in and say hello. And at that time, of course, you know, we don't know any different. We're just, he's a colleague. He's a legend, you know, used to watch him on TV. So he came in and it annoyed me that he had this cigar on because that is my studio space. And he and his ash went on the desk. Um, and it, But it, it was weird. It was just very... It was. I didn't get good vibes from him. Um, it definitely wasn't one of my highlights. I've got to say, and it was a very low time anyway. <laughs> so yeah, that dragged it down even further. Well, you then move on in '97. You get offered the evening show on what I think is one of the best stations in the country. Um, yeah, Hallam FM in Sheffield. I, 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 I'm from Hull originally, so we shouldn't naturally like other Yorkshire towns, but I love Sheffield. I think it's just an incredible place. It's got uh, just an amazing nightlife, amazing eateries. It's just a brilliant place. Um, mm. And you get off at the evening show on Hallam FM, and you, you must have bit their arm off. I did. I snapped it off. Uh, I bit it, and uh, I said, "I'm coming. Thanks very much." Um, and but Hallam wouldn't let me go. So I'm still doing Metro. I'd signed a second year. Um, I'm only halfway through. Yeah. Or, or I was only just got into that year. And so Metro said, no, we like what you do. We like your night shifts and we like your uh, weekend um, evening shifts. I, I had good figures. And I was, you know, quite, you know, quite enjoying myself by that point. But um, so as a result, and they were owned by the same company, they were EMAP. Um, so they just said, well, look, you can go to Hallam and do evenings there, but you have to come back and do your weekend shows here. So they, I had to do Monday to Friday at um, Hallam and then travel from Sheffield back to Newcastle um, 
and do, I think they must have had me on Saturday and Sunday evening, seven till 10. And I had to do that until they could find a, a replacement. So yeah, it was a bit of a bugger, but um, <laughs> I loved it at Hallam FM. Um, and and Hursty, of course, was there. She's amazing. And Daryl Denham and the team there, you know, Brett was there, Brett Harley. I'm trying to think who else there was. Um, and, and Rebecca Franklin, she's a great broadcaster. She did uh, Lates After Me. Um yeah, it was a really good team. The news team were great. It was just, and the program director, I mean, Tony McKenzie took me on. Uh, then he left. Uh, and then we had Anthony Gay. Um, a few people have mentioned his name, as I recall. And me and Anthony got on all right until I called him a C-U-N-T. Um, that, that didn't go down very well. <laughs> but I was ill. <laughs> but you're such an innocent person, Emma. How did that come about? I was vile. Um, I had I had postnatal depression, but I didn't even know about it because I'd gone back to work straight away after having my uh, first daughter. And uh, yeah, I didn't know I was going to talk about this. But yeah, so I'd got being self-employed um, and a lady. Uh, I just got married um, and luckily got pregnant. Um, and then everything kind of changed, you know, um, because being self-employed, they don't want you to take time off. There's, you've got to do that gig, you know, you've got to turn up and do your six shows a week. Uh, none of this, oh, you can have six months off or, or a year off, you know, I managed to negotiate eight weeks off, I think. And I went back to work after seven, but turns out just to get to the reason why I was horrible to Anthony Gay. And I have apologized since because I do not go around calling people that, um, (laughs) I, um, I I went back to work too soon and my hormones were all over the place. And uh, Anthony sort of pulled me aside and said, your attitude's not very, very good. Uh, people are talking. I went, who are these fucking people talking? Where are they? Bring them up here. I was hor- It was like, get out of my pub. It was like something out of EastEnders. I was absolutely vile. Um, but um, I'm very sorry to Anthony. Um, I have apologised since. But he did say afterwards, he says, I can't, we can't have you here now. <laughs> so fair enough. I'll come and clear out my locker tomorrow. <laughs> so it was horrendous. And then I went to the doctors and the doctor said to me, he said, Emma, he said, oh, you're on this. Um, I think they called it the mini pill. It was the one where if you were breastfeeding, you could you could have it if you were breastfeeding and you didn't want to get up the duff again. Um, but he said, oh, you're on that. Um, you must be feeling like you're going mad. Uh, I said, yeah, I've just called my boss a C-U-N-T and lost my job. <laughs> he went, yeah, you don't want to be on that mini pill. You've been on there too long. You should have been moved on to this other one by then. I was like, cheers, mate. <laughs> cheers, mate, because you just lost me the best gig of my life. Um, and it was an, ama- an amazing three and a half years at Hallam. I loved it. I didn't get to see much of the, the Sheffield sort of nightlife or anything because I was on evenings. Um, and you don't tend to get out much in the evening when you're on air. Um but then they moved me up to 10 till 2. So, yeah, it was a bit more. But, yeah, it, it was what it was. I um, I was a very naughty girl. I had a bad attitude because of my hormones raging. What I like is when, when before we do an episode of Crunch and Roll, we always speak to our guests and we just say, just send us over some notes. And the notes that you sent to us was that you told your boss to shove his job up his ass. Now, you've, yeah. <laughs> that wasn't quite true, was it? <laughs> that Well, that did come after I'd called him a C-U-N-T. <laughs> Um, and the MD, who I was very rude about, Sean. His name was Sean Gregory, also a very nice guy. Um, <laughs> he didn't deserve to be called what he got called. Um, but, yeah, I, I said, I'm not interested in a job. You can fucking shove it or whatever. I, I don't know. It was horrible. It was a horrible time in my life. Can, can I just say, um, do you know, I, yeah. I, it was, a, I don't know, about a year ago, I spoke to, and I won't name her, but she, she co-hosts a show on a big station in the Midlands. I mean, you probably work it out now because uh, there's that fewer people presenting. But I remember having a conversation with her. So she'd given birth to her daughter and she, she rang me and she, she was just talking about the pressure of returning back. Yeah. A, because we're all, or we were self-employed. So there's yes. a pressure of earning cash. But also, I mean, it's not just for, 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 for ladies, it's for, for us as well. You know, blokes that when you have time off, you shit yourself that someone's going to come along and do a better job than you. That, that is the, that's the, I would 100%. say that's number one, isn't it? Yeah, it, it was it was awful, actually, having to negotiate these weeks, you know, with Anthony, the program director. He said, well, we can give you eight weeks. That's it. Um, unpaid, obviously. Um, or I think four weeks were my holiday. And did we get paid holiday? I don't really remember Probably getting any not, paid no. holiday. But I was allowed off. No, it was unpaid holiday, but you're allowed off for four weeks. 
So I'd had this four week allowance. I'd saved up my holiday, and then I'd I, I took this extra four weeks. Turned out to be three because I went back after seven. Um, and yeah, but you're constantly thinking, I need to get back. I need to get back, or I'm going to lose this job. Um, and then after six months, I managed to lose it myself anyway because being <laughs> mental, um, you know, whatever. So yeah, and then the second baby actually because uh, Indiana is now 22. And then Diaz is 18, but that I went back, I went back to work. That was Power FM at the time. I went after five, back after five weeks. Um, so yeah, you do it's it's uh, I get very jealous when people have a year off maternity and they get money for it. <laughs> but um as it was, I didn't have a husband that actually worked. So mm, had that been a different scenario, maybe I would have had a bit more time off work. Bless you. Now, I'm going to fast. Still, I was still doing my breast pumping while I was on air. Oh, we had to get you? a curtain. <laughs> we had to get a curtain at Hallam because I had to pump my breasts um, re- very regularly. Otherwise, they seize up, you know, if you don't lose it. No, if you don't use it, you're going to lose it. So we had to get a curtain put in at Hallam because I'd gone back that early. And Indiana was still breastfeeding, so there's me with my boobs hanging out. Um, <laughs> and, you know, people weren't allowed to walk past because it's all glass, you know, glass at the front, glass at the side, glass at the back. And I've got my tit out trying to squeeze my thing out. It's horrific. I didn't, I didn't do that for um, for Diaz because um, I was a lot closer to home <laughs> and I could just go home and breastfeed. But, yeah, it's uh, it, it, like a few months before I was puking in the bin because of my morning sickness. Uh, and then a few months later, yeah, got my boobs out and I'm squeezing my milk. It's showbiz, baby, it's showbiz, that's what it is. Oh, yeah. I want to fast forward now. Um, yeah, please do, because we're going to run out of time and I haven't even told you any good stories yet. You've told some, um, Emma, you've been brilliant, <laughs> genuinely, and I mean that. I, I, I've really enjoyed this. Uh, but you moved to a station oh. in 2002, which I always dreamt of being on it. You went to Power FM. I, I always, Power FM. I thought it was amazing. amazing. Yeah. You know what else is amazing? Their frequency, 103.2, and I earned 103.2 pence um, <laughs> for my show. Uh, that was a good earning show as well, 103 pounds, 20 pence. And I'd gone from Juice in Brighton, and I was earning 68 pounds a show, as I recall. So to to go up to 103 pounds, like, wow. And also it was the same frequency, like 958. It was like, whoa. Anyway, yeah, I love Power FM. That was, that was amazing. And I met the lovely Claire Anderson, who you uh, know, and she kind of made me come on here with you. She made me. No, lovely Claire, lovely team at Power FM. Absolutely great. Really professional. Um, one to four slot, amazing. Yeah. So, yeah, I got to do my um, incoming show as well, which was a three-hour free choice show. You don't get that anymore, do you? Um, you know, so incoming was great. Um, yeah, indie and rock and, you know. Yeah, b- beautiful. Loved it down there. Love, lovely part of the world. Didn't you have your worst snoop session of your life <laughs> at, at Power FM? Oh, Christ. It was horrendous. I mean, who likes snoop sessions oh, anyway? I don't know what. Does anybody like a snoop, right? You're being completely slagged off for something you can't do anything about because it's happened, right? All right, I did it. I said, uh, instead of not saying, uh, oh, I spoke for 17 seconds instead of 15. I can't do anything about it, mate. It's happened. But this but this one, the worst snoop of my entire life. I mean, they're all horrible. All of them are horrible, and I've done hundreds. Um, it was, it was terrible. I'd been, it was just a normal weekly snoop. I'd gone into the, um, little office, the boardroom, it would have been boardroom and program directors opposite me with his laptop. I'm just sitting there with a notepad, making notes. If he actually did come out with something that I was going to learn from, which never really happened. They, you know, he used to choose an hour of a show and used to play every single link that I did. And, and the first couple were okay, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then this, this third link or whatever, he, he listened to it. Uh, and then he, he he placed his laptop on the on the desk because he was walking around with his laptop as well, just pacing up and down. I was like, what are you doing? Just sit down, man. Anyway, so he he puts his laptop down and he threw and he had a no, he, he threw something on the desk, his, his, his pen or something. He just threw it at me. And I was like, whoa. And he went, that is not why I pay you. And I was like, what? And he said, what was that? And yeah, I'm actually paying you for doing things like that. And I was like, all right, all right, mate. Um, and I just, 
I was in shock because, first of all, he flinged. I don't know whether he threw an A4 pad at me or something. He threw something at me and he'd slagged me off and he completely destroyed my confidence and told me I was shit, basically, and that I shouldn't be earning any money. And then I cried, obviously. Um, And then he must have felt awful. I don't, I, obviously, I wouldn't have been able to say much. I'd have just said, I don't, "Can I?" He would have offered a cup of tea. Should I go and get you a cup of tea? Said, yes, give me a cup of tea. So I'm sobbing my heart out, um, thinking, "Well, there's no point. I can do another radio show. That's it. I'm doomed. That's it. I can't do anything else. I'm useless." He's told me I'm useless. I don't earn any money. I'm going to go back to zero pence. Blah blah blah. All of this, um, and I was in that room for hours. I would not leave that room. I couldn't stop crying. He'd really hit a raw nerve there. Um, and he brought a cup of tea in and it didn't help. And in the end, he said, is there anything I can do? Can I, what can I do to make this better? And I said, go and get my coat, go and get my bag, bring it in here and just don't look at me because I'd been crying for hours. <laughs> so he had to go to my desk when I wasn't expecting to be in this room for hours. Um, but he went and got my stuff and then I put my coat on and got my bag and I just head down like I got like quite a long fringe anyway so I could I could hide my face and off I shot out the reception and and avoided eye contact and any snoop session after that with him or any other program director I always had my coat and always had my bag just in case (laughs) it kicked off because if it went wrong I'm gonna get everything and I'm off see ya but I'm not gonna put up with that but yeah I haven't really had a worse snoop session and and that just really hit a raw nerve because it wasn't even that bad a link you know it was just an average link you can't come up with great links all the time can you crying out loud no and they could be um, my my favorite person to do snoop sessions was mark story i don't know if your paths ever crossed but he Ooh. he he would have little power naps so you'd be listening to part of the show and you'd look over at mark story who at the time was the oracle of radio at emap and he'd be asleep you'd be like shit was it that bad He'd wake Hilarious. up. He'd wake up, and he'd be like, "You know, I, I listen." He, he just could rattle off every fine detail of the link. It was incredible, unbelievable. I had a thing with Mark's story, and I can't remember. What, we fell out. I can't remember what it was about. He was a consultant at, at Kerrang, and he'd come in to do something. And there was another episode where I think I was chewing on a pen, and he told me off. And I was thinking, "Don't tell me off for chewing a pen. I don't even know you. You don't even know me." But yeah, he, he took umbrage that I had a pen in my mouth, as I recall. Very strange, very <laughs> strange situation. Anyway, whatever, Snoops, yeah. hate them. Yeah. Don't ever want to deal with them again. Well, look, you've mentioned uh, Kerrang. Um, so you were still doing your gigs at Power FM, but then you, in 2004, um, you do some weekend shows on Kerrang. I mean, let's talk hmm. Kerrang, because I, I know I've spoken to Jim Coulson in the previous series. I, I spoke to Dan Morfitt, who have both hmm. been on Kerrang!, and I'll say again to you, what an incredible station. It was mind-blowing to be there. It was completely different to anything else that I had ever witnessed. And the, the creativity and the the teamwork and just the atmosphere, everything was great. Lovely open plan office. The studios are great. It was a really brilliant building. I'm, and I know that the other guys have talked about the stage that used to just get wheeled out. And, you know, it was all the glass-fronted, very showbiz, the reception. Everything was showbiz about it. Everyone was just loving being there. Um, that it was a really young creative team, you know, and and production was absolutely mint. The team was mint. Program director was great, Andrew Jeffries. Then he he got me up and then left. Okay. And then I had Adam Ootman, and Adam was great. I really love Adam. Um, and yeah, you know, Loz Loz the head of music. He's still there now. Johnny Doom, you know, he's still my mate. You know, so. Just an amazing team, just creativity, you know, the the amount of bands that were coming in. You know, I'd be doing five interviews a day and, and it'd be like, whoa, all right, you're going to wheel in Gavin Rosdale from Bush. Okay, oh, right, Manic Street Preachers are in. Oh, The Enemy are just around the corner. Right, oh, oh, Foo Fighters, oh, I've got to, oh, got, got to do Corey Taylor from Slipknot. Right, how many more are you going to give me? It was just one after another and it was constant. Um, and, and and it was great. The gigs were great. Um, we used to host all of these um, live music nights, um, and it was and the listeners, amazing listeners as well. You know, you go you go to a Kerrang night, and they'd be lined up load of cranberry and vodka for me because they absolutely thought I was great. I don't, don't want they picketed when I got the boot. You know, they were outside picketing saying "Save our Emma." You know, it was wonderful. Um, but yeah, r- glorious, a glorious time. So you were driving from 
Power FM, and then you were <laughs> driving to Birmingham initially before you went full time at Kerrang. So you're doing six yeah. shows at, at oh, Power, yeah. and then you were driving to. I mean, you've done yeah, some, well, that, you've done some miles, Emma. I know. Yeah. Well, that's actually my real name. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> my real name is Emma Miles, um, and I do put a lot of miles in. And I think if you want something, you got to go for it. And it doesn't matter if you don't get paid or you have to put a lot of miles in. You, if you want it and you really want it, then you'll go and get it. But yeah, I'd only just given birth to my second daughter at that time. And Andrew Jeffries wanted me at Kerrang, but I was pregnant. And then he said, look, just have the baby. I'm going to do the launch. We're going to have the launch team. And the launch team very rarely stays, which is a fair point. Um, he said, just keep in touch. Because um, by this time, I was back on power. I was still doing power. Keep in touch. And once you've had the baby, then we'll talk more. And so I gave birth and then you know within minutes I was like right Andrew <laughs> can I come and have a chat so I drove up from the south coast up to Birmingham and had my interview with Andrew Jeffries and um he gave me the gig but he said uh, we've only got um Sunday mornings well no, it was 12 till 3 so yeah Sunday lunchtime so I would leave my house in um where did I used to live Wars Ash um 7 I think I'd leave 7 a.m get get to Birmingham for 10 a.m. park up it was terrible parking in Birmingham that's one of the worst things about Kerrang um, and then I do a couple of hours show prep I'll be on air at, at Kerrang between 12 and 3 I'd drive back home I'd get back home for 7 p.m. I'd eat something then I'd go back to work to Power FM because I was on air at 10 p.m. till 1 a.m. so it was like a it was a, a horrible horrible long day and I did it for a year and I had this tiny baby and a four-year-old as well so, um, yeah, but I wanted it. And so I went and got it. And then while I was doing my Sunday show, Adam said, the drive time show's coming up. Do you want it? And I snapped his arm off as well. So that's quite a few arm snaps that's, that's <laughs> gone on. I didn't want to leave power, um, but I knew to progress my career, I had to go to Kerrang. And and I had um, a glorious time there. So whilst you're at um at Kerrang, obviously owned by EMAP, and I've asked all fellow um, EMAPians, I'm going to use that new term, it's quite clever. Good. Um, tell me about the EMAP Awards, your experience of, of the EMAP Awards. Oh, gosh. Well, I think I only went to two. They were just absolute, everyone just got mortal, didn't they? <laughs> it's just ridiculous. It yeah, it was. Yeah. It was just mortal city. I've got pictures of us all over the floor, um, cartwheels, handstands, puking, people getting off with people that you shouldn't be getting off with, um, fallouts, arguments, uh, crying. I, I was up for an award and didn't win, so I was crying. Um, <laughs> stage invasions. Uh, the EMAP awards were absolutely amazing. So, um, yeah, bring it, bring them on if they were ever to re redo an award ceremony. That would be pretty good. But, yeah, I remember that. I always uh, the... remember the Kerrang lot were just an absolute mess. I mean, you lot just stood out like a sore thumb. We were all any other station, be it Radio City or, I don't know, TF. Metro, yeah, Callum, any of those. All of them. We were all just in shirt and jeans, not the Kerrang lot, no. Like, Tim Shaw would go up on stage with a dildo in his hand. You know, it was... <laughs> It was just, <laughs> every time the name Jim. Kerrang was mentioned, the whole venue would just erupt. It was, uh, you know, I, I, was, I, I, I think everyone used to look across and go, oh, I wish we were part of the Kerrang family. I know. I know. It was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. So, um, yeah, happy days, happy days. But everything good comes to an end, doesn't it? It does. It we does. all got the boot. <laughs> we did. But, um, poor Gordon Davison got that job, didn't he? And I know he's been mentioned a few times. Great PD, really nice human being. Um, but I, I did all right out of that deal because I'd just signed for my um, my next year. And I think Gordon actually um, in orchestrated that. I think he knew what was happening. So he was keen to sign me up for another year uh, because then when they got rid of pretty much all of the team in 2009, he said, I bet you're glad now, Emma, that I got you to sign that contract because you've got eight months pay and you don't have to do anything for it. <laughs> and I was like, yes, you are. <laughs> and then, oh, I've got to find another job. But it was okay because then I was on a retainer for heart for a year or something. I just get paid for sitting around doing nothing, just waiting for shifts to come in. Amazing. I, I, how, do you, how do you go from presenting on Kerrang to presenting on heart? Because – Ying and Yang, 
I know, babe. I know. It was a difficult one for me, um, but they wanted me. And they want. while I was at Kerrang, uh, they kept saying, send me a demo, send me a demo in, in the heart format. And it was, it was chalk and cheese, yin and yang. It was very difficult. But at the end of the day, I'm a broadcaster and I can turn my hand to, you know, if I had to do a country show, I'll do a country show. If I had to do a jazz show, I would do it. I was, you know, I'm, I'm all right at broadcasting. Um, I'm in my element with guitar music and rock music. But I can do pop as well. Um, and also I need to feed mouths <laughs> and pay mortgages. So um as my as as I already said, I had a husband that was the the stay-at-home dad. Um so if I didn't work, nobody ate. Um so yeah, I needed another gig. The the guys at heart in Birmingham were keen. Um and, and they, you know, they were nice guys. So I yeah, I did some swing work there, did couple of weeks of breakfast pretty much straight away after leaving Kerrang. It was um, a shock to the system. <laughs> um, it was really hard. I didn't like it at all. Um, I did it because I had mouths to feed. Um, it was hard work. It was all very prepared the day before. Oh, we're going to do that in this hour. We're going to talk about that. We're going to do this as a caller subject. We're going to do that. We're gonna, and I, I, I didn't like that. And I managed to deal with it for about four years. And then I said, no, I can't do it. I can't do it. This is the most soul-destroying radio I have ever done in my entire life. And to listen to me, you would not think that I was thinking that my soul was being destroyed because, as I say, I'm a decent broadcaster and I can put a smile on and and I can deal with it. Um, but, no, it was killing me. Every single day killed me a little bit more. Um, and But I love the I love the guys at heart. I, I, I think what they do is it's a great product. It's a great product. You know what you're going to get. You know the broadcasters on there, the presenters on there are of a decent standard because you've got to be to be that tight. I just want to be loose, you know. I just want to I want to sling the microphone open and just say, how's it going? What's happening? You know, just chat. But you're not allowed to do that there. So, yeah, it was very weird going from Kerrang to Heart, but it, I had mouths to feed. Um, and as I, somebody told me once, and it might have been Gordon Davidson from Kerrang, he said, um, being cool, being cool, don't put food on the table or something. I, I can't remember. Can't remember what it was, but um, they're right. You know, you can't. You can sit there and say, well, "I've I've got to be cool," or you can just, or you can pay your bills. And at the end of the day, this is a job, and we need to pay our bills as well. Absolutely, so, um, absolutely. That's how I. That's how that happened. And and Rachel knew had already gone over from Kerrang to Heart, and she was doing really, really well. So I thought, well, if Rachel can do it from working with Ugly Phil. Uh, and <laughs> and dealing with everything ugly Phil could throw at her, then okay, I've got a chance to survive on heart as well. Um, but yeah, I, and I, I managed three years, um, three years full time on drive time in Devon, and I, I, I couldn't do anymore. I was done. It's funny because you, you were offered heart Cambridge or heart Devon, and you took Devon. <laughs> and I, I would love to live in Devon, by the way, but why did you not return home? I know. I, I just wasn't ready to return home. I wanted to experience that Devon and Cornwall life that everybody dreams of, and I wouldn't do it again. Um, and I should have taken Cambridge, um, but I'd already left St. Neitz, you know, 20 years before. So it's kind of irrelevant, really, that they'd offered me Cambridge. They did try and get me to do Heart Cambridge years after. Um, but at that point, I was burned out from Heart and burned out from radio. I did 25 years solid, um, and it was hard. So... Yeah, um, I chose Devon because I wanted the the beaches and the sea. And as it was, Exeter's nowhere near the ruddy beach. <laughs> <laughs> On the industrial estate. All right, where's the beach? An hour. Oh, okay. It would have well, been closer you know. if you were in Cambridge to get to Felix, though, I think, wouldn't <laughs> would it? Would have been. Absolutely. I really shit out there. <laughs> but it was all right. It was all right. Well, look, to do it. Um, Let's just uh, let's just finish on on plugin baby. So, in, in, oh. t tell me about plugin baby because this is this is your this is your baby. It is my I do see it as my baby. Um, plugin baby is um, the company I created when I decided to leave radio um, in 2013. Um, I thought, well, I'm screwed because this is all I know. What am I going to do? It's not as if you can go to the back of your newspaper and see a job for a drive time presenter on offer or anything. I had no qualifications to do anything except radio. So I was not going to just walk into an all the normal office job or anything. So I thought, well, what can I do? What can I do? Um, and I, I had already been running a radio, uh, um, a record label, not a radio station. God, that would be horrific. 
I'd already been running this record label um, and so I was doing a bit of radio plugging for it. So I thought, all right, well, let me just do that just until I decide what to do. And here we are 10 years later, still doing that, um, doing quite well at it. Plugging Baby's been going for a while. We have great results. It's good. And then um, decided to set up the Plugging Baby radio show. Um, and I do that every week, started that in September. I mean, I should have started it a long time, but it, it was, it took me a while to go back on air, to be fair. I think, um, I think I, yeah, I was fairly destroyed after, um, what I had to deal with in the last couple of years on air. Um, and I really wasn't interested in radio at all. And it was the guys at Primordial Radio, that great radio station, by the way, if you like rock and metal, um, they actually pulled me out of my radio retirement and in 2000 and 20 2020 during uh, covid and i'm glad they did because i wouldn't have got behind a mic again ever um and unless i had that that sort of family feel but yeah so that got me back into radio and as i say i'm doing radio plugging for plugging baby so i work with musicians get their music played on the radio which isn't easy with playlists but but we manage uh we get through and and yeah the plugging baby radio show is great two hours of my clients but and mostly um, other songs that I've, you know, that I like, um, other bands that get in touch and want airplay. So I try and help as many people as I can. It's very much like the old Raw show, uh, the incoming show I used to do on Hallam. I used to do one called Excess. Um, you know, it's very much like those three those three shows I I used to absolutely love. They're, you know, this people dread their sixth show. They don't like doing their sixth show. They want to lie in. I can't be asked with all this. I was doing seven shows just because, and for free. I didn't used to get paid for one of them. And I don't think I got paid for Raw at some point because they, they I don't know what they wanted to get rid of it. And I said, no, no, I'll do it for free. I'll do it for free. So, um, yeah, so I was doing seven shows a week then. But um, anyway, I love those six shows because they gave me free choice. They gave me the chance to play, you know, bands that weren't going to usually be on radio stations like Hallam or Power FM. Um, you're like Slipknot on Power FM. Really? <laughs> that happened, right? <laughs> Interviewing Food Fighters and, and bands like that on Power FM back in 2003. That happened. And um, yeah, usually they wouldn't stand a chance of getting on a, a Capital radio station, but they did because I was there. I just wondered, having chatted for the last hour, Emma, and mm. going through... And genuinely, you've been brilliant. So thank you so much for agreeing to do this. Oh, thanks, Foxy. You're very nice. No, I, I, I like you've, you. You've, you've made me laugh. <laughs> um, uh, but I, I just wondered. What's the but? Do you regret not becoming a police officer? You know what? That is a very good question. And yes, in a way, I do. I actually tried to be a firefighter about two years ago because I still have that in me. That it's obviously a uniform thing. <laughs> um, police, I was put off being a, a police officer in the end. A friend of mine's quite high up in the police. And she said, no, Emma, it's not like it used to be in the late 80s when you wanted to join. She said, move on, go and do something else. And then the fire service kind of tickled my fancy. And I tried out to be uh, an on-call firefighter. Turned out then my hormones, my <laughs> hormones will be the death of me, John. I'm not being funny. But I couldn't, I couldn't deal with the tech. I got through a year of training and, and exams and everything to get to, to this 10-week training program for the firefighters. Um, and my, I was going through this um, menopausal thing, perimenopause it's called, 10 long years, 10, where your hormones are all over the place. Anyway, it made my anxiety terrible. And this 10-week training for the fire service, uh, just I got to week three and then I had to pull out. thought I was having a breakdown. It was horrendous. Anyway, but yes, I would have liked to have been a police officer and I definitely would have liked to have been a firefighter, but I couldn't make it through. Um, so, yeah, but I've, I have had a career that is the stuff of dreams. So I, and when I, you know, if it flashes before me, I just have brilliant memories um, and don't talk to me about Mick Hucknall because uh, he's a knob. Um, or, you know, <laughs> worst celebrity interviewed, Mick Hucknall, um, closely followed by Seal. Um, anyway, no, um, it, it, it's just, it is the stuff of dreams. 25 years solid, um, another 10 years on now. This is my 35th year um, doing my own radio show from my kitchen, basically. Um, it, I, I'm loving it. I love the freedom and no snoop sessions <laughs> and uh, no more dodgy p program directors and, uh, and telling people where they can shove their job. So, um, yeah, sorry about that, Anthony. 
I, I sense from your reaction there that you're not uh, a Mick Hucknall fan, Emma. Well, I mean, no. Um, you mentioned his name, and to me, I just want to puke. Uh, and I used to be a Simply Red fan, and I interviewed him when I was at Metro, so, you know, a dark time anyway, and then I had to go and interview him. I flew down from Newcastle to London, sat around for ages waiting for His Highness to have time to meet me and be interviewed by me, and I just found him to be so rude, so off-putting, just didn't want to be there. And during the interview, and I was really nervous because he's a worldwide star who I, you know, I used to like, you know, Simply Red at that, that time, 1996, when that Stars album was out. That was a big yeah. album. Um, and, you know, I expected more of this man. Um, and in the middle of the interview, and, I, you know, as I said, I, I'm, I struggle with nerves. I struggle with people, you know, being close to people and co-hosting and all that. And it's me with this little Marantz recorder, whatever it was. And I was really scared and I was interviewing him. And he said, are these questions really interesting to anyone? I don't, I, I, you know, I don't think there are any, and he just really, I was like, oh my God, I actually really tried hard with those questions. Um, and he just said that my questions were shit. Um, and I was like, well, I th I think I defended myself. I said, well, I think they're interesting. Suppose it's about your answer. I just want to know what your answer is. Um, you know, underpants or boxers. It's a really high, it's a real <laughs> high flying question. You know what I mean? Everyone, I was living in the smash hits generation, mate. So, but anyway, there were other decent questions, but he just said, Are these questions are actually interesting to anyone. And I got, um, I got out of that interview and uh, I, I cried again. I cry a lot. And then I flew back to Newcastle and I got back to my house in Newcastle and I found out that that album stars album and i smashed it smashed it to pieces and i was like hucknell you are dead to me mate simply red simply fuck off oh yeah well emma scott thank you very much for being on crunch and roll thanks for having me i mean i just love the name crunch and roll you i was good at crunch and rolling i'm quite tight i'm, I'm you know i can hit a vocal i think it was simon's <laughs> idea wasn't it I, think it was. I love it that was what crunch and roll happened when I got to Hallam. Uh, Anthony Gay was like, just do a crunch and roll link there, Emma. A CNR. I'm like, yeah, I love a bit of CNR. <laughs> I can't get enough of it. <laughs> Such I an anorak term. I love it. Thanks for having me. I've absolutely uh, I loved it. Thank you. You've been listening to Crunch and Roll with me, Emma Scott. Subscribe on your favourite podcast app to get every new episode as soon as it drops. Crunch and Roll is a 969 media production presented by our lovely John Fox and produced by the quite nice Simon, oh gosh, hang on, uh, Borsh, Borshovsky? Oh yeah. Don't talk about the Hoosiers. <laughs> oh, I love the Hoosiers. <laughs> There's been too much talk of the Hoosiers. Yeah, yeah.